This is the podcast for the journal Genetics and Medicine, published by Springer Nature. It's the official journal of the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics. I'm Cynthia Graber. When the COVID-19 pandemic hit, clinicians and medical facilities that care for patients with inherited diseases had to react quickly. It is uh, an unprecedented scenario. And uh, the only available publication on the similar uh, tragic and uh, catastrophic situation is the Katrina and Rita hurricanes uh, in 2005. And uh, the management of patients with metabolic diseases is uh, particularly challenging and has been extremely challenging during the COVID-19 time. Nicola Brunetti-Pieri is one of those clinicians. He treats patients and conducts research on patients with inherited metabolic diseases in Naples, Italy. He says the patients have quite intensive and regular care. The load of uh, clinical activities is pretty heavy. We have uh, patients that are coming to our clinic with different type of scheduling. So younger patients typically come more often to see us, particularly during the the growing age because uh, they follow diets that need to be adjusted according to the growth uh, in weight. There are patients that are coming also because uh, they have to do surveillance for uh, different types uh, of problems that uh, the disease is expected uh, to cause. Dr. Bernetti-Pieri and his colleagues had to respond quickly to the pandemic, and they described their efforts in a new commentary in the journal Genetics and Medicine. The hospital where the clinic is located reserved most of its beds for COVID patients, so the team made sure that some beds would be reserved for metabolic disease patients if necessary. Then they rapidly instituted home treatment. So we started implementing home therapies a few years ago, but honestly, things have been going very slowly. Uh, Acceptance of home therapies by our health system has been very slow, but uh, the COVID-19 accelerated that tremendously. For example, most of our patients that are doing enzyme replacement therapy, mostly lysosomal storage disorder patients, they are now having home therapies, which is a major accomplishment that we couldn't do that before in a, in a regular time. Also, we're able also to implement blood collections done at home, and then the samples were brought to the central lab for analysis. These also could be measurements that we hope we could maintain even after the COVID-19 pandemic. Some patients did have to come in for treatment, but Dr. Brunetti-Pieri says he was pleased to see that not only did the care of the patients not dramatically suffer, but that his patients didn't suffer from COVID itself as he feared they would. He believes it's because, as they're a vulnerable population, they're already accustomed to social distancing. Elaine Pereira is an assistant professor at Columbia University in clinical genetics and in the Department of Pediatrics, and she and her colleagues also published a paper about their response to and lessons from the COVID-19 pandemic in genetics and medicine. They regularly see about 2,000 outpatients, two-thirds of whom are in pediatrics. These patients could have congenital anomalies, cancer, metabolic disorders, developmental delay, autism, so a whole slew of problems or concerns. About 60% of their patients are Medicaid and Medicare payers, and she says that, typically for New York, about 20 to 30% are from a Hispanic background. I think one of our major concerns was to make sure that the patients felt comfortable with whatever type of visits we were able to provide them. We knew that we would be able to offer the same type of genetic counseling and the same type of recommendations for whatever genetic issue might arise. The questions were, 
being able to communicate properly with the patient. For example, if we needed an interpreter service, could we integrate that into any type of virtual visit? The other main concern was making sure that um, the families were able to physically get the consent forms and to actually get any type of blood work or other samples that were necessary. As it happened, they'd recently switched their electronic medical records to a system that allowed for video meetings, which the previous one did not. So around March, the beginning of March, we started having meetings trying to figure out getting um, feedback from genetic counselors, front office staff, um, attendings, what would be needed to be in place in order to make everything go virtually, what we would need at home, what type of access the providers would need in order to um, be able to remotely use our computers from the hospital, trying to problem solve and think of what the patients might need from home, how they should be in their home when we do the virtual visits being in a quiet room, having the child next to them, kind of stating that even though they're at home, it's the same as having a visit with us in person, minus, you know, some of the physical exam. They also figured out what they'd have to do to get kits to families to take samples at home and send those samples in. And they problem solved about how to deal with the need for language interpretation. They contacted all of their patients and most were willing to give virtual visits a try. Dr. Pereira said the virtual visits proceeded much the same as they would in person, and the clinicians could even do virtual analysis of developmental milestones or physical manifestations of symptoms. She said there were even some benefits of telemedicine for their patients. One of the strengths of having a telemedicine visit is having multiple um, family members available to ask questions and comments. A lot of the times when we see patients in person, only one parent is able to come with them. When we did virtual visits, the parents didn't even have to be in the same room or in the same household, but they were both there for, to be there for their child. Um, another good thing was that we were able to have multiple providers see a patient in one day. For example, there was a patient where we disclosed some test results, and then 10 minutes later, the neurologist was able to talk with the family and provide a little bit more information about the uh, the child's specific condition. And there were some benefits to the pediatric patients as well. I think one of the benefits that was surprising in a good way is that a lot of the anxiety level for a lot of the pediatric patients was greatly reduced because they knew that they were in a safe place in their home. Um, usually blood draws or talking about genetic testing can cause some p- patients and even some parents some anxiety, so that decreased um, a bit, and that was nice to see. Of course, there are challenges. Some patients don't have computer access at home or have spotty internet access, or they find the apps complicated to download and want to use apps they already have installed, which may not be HIPAA compliant. Including interpreters and calls, in part because of the technology challenges, has also not proceeded as smoothly as the team would hope. And finally, the percentage of Medicare and Medicaid patients dropped from around 60% to closer to 40%, which might indicate that the lack of technology access means they aren't reaching enough of their less well-off patients. Dr. Brunetti-Pieri says they had interruptions in service in Italy as well, particularly with regards to the clinical trials they're conducting. For example, we had patients that are coming to us for uh, gene therapy clinical trials from all over the world, and uh, many of them could not come for the regular visit, so they were simply done on a remote basis, and we missed important uh, endpoints, actually, for the study. 
Now, this has been recognized as a major issue for also by other people working on uh, in doing clinical trials. That said, Dr. Pereira said the pandemic offered the team the opportunity to see patients within the tri-state area, including New Jersey and Connecticut, which insurance didn't always allow before. And they both hope that patients in both respective countries can continue to use telemedicine when appropriate and that in-person visits and treatment can resume as needed for optimal care. They say their patients hope telemedicine can continue as well. I think everyone appreciated being able to have a video visit, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, which was good. Uh, And a lot of people would want to have a video visit again in the future, even if um, coming in-person visit was available. And those in-person visits are picking up at the moment. Dr. Brunetti-Pieri says the next few months for him and for his colleagues will be quite busy. Obviously, there is uh, the time is more intense now because we, are, we need to, to catch up with all the things that have not been done during the previous two, three months. But you know, hopefully within a couple of months, we'll be back to normal. And hopefully there will be nothing coming after in the fall, obviously. Genetics and Medicine is the official journal of the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics and is published by Springer Nature. I'm Cynthia Graber.